The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. This is the Locked and Loaded Show, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, we're going to talk about gun stuff. Always. Gun politics. Now, when people think about guns, a lot of times they think about gangsters, because gangsters are known for using guns. And as it turns out, back uh, in the first part of the first third of October, they had an auction for this uh, gangster dude. What was his name? Al Capone? Anybody ever heard of him? Uh, I might have heard of him once or twice. Yeah, probably one of the most famous gangster names in history, Al Capone. Al Capone. And they auctioned uh, some of his items at uh, at an at auction house, and apparently his guns, some of his guns were sold. And they brought over $3 million into the auction house. So it just goes to show, gangsters still carry a little bit of weight here and there. Wasn't he really the one that popularized or introduced what came to be known as the Tommy Gun? Tommy Gun. The chopper, yeah. Absolutely. And that's one. He also was partially responsible for getting the 1934 Firearms Act oh, that's right. <laughs> pushed into law because well, they, of that. They kind of drove around the streets and uh, lit up some uh, oh, yeah. cars and people with those Tommy guns. Light it up. Man, I, you know, I, you mentioned gangsters. There is a... Uh, you talking to me? Yeah, you talking to me. Hey, Say hello to my so little friend. <laughs> there, there is a governor's race in New York next year. And awesome. one, of, one of the candidates survived a Gambino hitman and a Gotti hitman. Ooh. And he is a candidate. This guy should win. Sounds like Elliot just Ness. Based on that. <laughs> Elliot Ness, yeah, right. Wasn't it the. He, uh, he should win based on that. Wasn't it the uh, Valentine's Massacre that. Was that one oh. that the and that was where the big Tommy guns are? Oh gosh! Um, and they had them lined up against the wall. Yeah, I can't remember what that. What the, wasn't it called? The Valentine's? I think it was something like that. Yeah, the Valentine's. When that was? Oh, I thought I the Valentine's remember. Day massacre was back in like nineteen fifteen, nineteen thirteen, something like that. I don't remember, but I know there's there's. Do we have to Google that? Yeah, we <laughs> might. Or, <laughs> might well, have to. Duck, duck, go it. Let's Whatever. Duck, duck, yeah, go I, don't it. I don't know. Promote googly goo. <laughs> googly goo. Yeah. But I I will promote Duck Duck Go. Okay, good to know. I'll, I'll remember that. That's just because you like washing it off your car. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, but how cool is that, Roger? We have a and, and Mark the Shark. If you're out there listening, how cool? And he probably knows the name because I can't remember the guy's name. But he's running, I believe, for governor. And the man is a survivor from being shot by the Gambino family and the Gotti family. I mean, it's it's a pretty cool, cool yeah. story. And that's uh, pretty... The fact that he survived the, two hitmen, yeah, that's yeah, pretty amazing. The guy should you win think, based You think on he wasn't liked? What's that? You think he had a popularity problem? Oh, maybe. <laughs> well, now, was he in law enforcement before that? What what caused I, these guys to take out hits on I, him? I mean... I don't know the, the all the history, but I do know that I believe he was the founder 
of the um, do you remember the Red Hat group, the the Red Beret group in New York that used to patrol the streets? Oh, right, right, right. The neighborhood the watch. Uh, what? What? The neighborhood watch group. That, yeah, yeah but it was, was like angels game. or something. Yes, something angels. I know Mark the Shark knows. He should probably no, call in. Do you realize they're still around? They are still around. Yes, they Wasn't are. Wasn't the guy with the pink hats? No, that's no, something no, else. No, no, no. The pink hats are a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was, I was In uh, fact, <laughs> the pink house broke in and assaulted this the floor of the Senate, but somehow that was not an insurrection. Right. No, that was not. Or an erection because, you know, well, I won't even go there. <laughs> bad host. Bad host. We're getting all over the board here, aren't we? <laughs> good thing this isn't a real radio. Yeah, it's good. good thing this is internet. <laughs> bad, bad, bad host. But uh, but no, I think it's fascinating that there's, and I'm sure Mark the Shark will chime in, but uh, that a candidate for in New York is a survivor of the Gambino family man. and the Gotti family. And uh, and I believe he he did create the... Maybe our uh, friend Mr. Angel. Gambino will call in. Oh, wouldn't that be... Just, that would be spectacular. <laughs> yes, folks, Roger and I do have a good friend who is a Gambino. <laughs> and let me tell you, whenever I need protection, I take Gambino with me. And he's from Jersey. <laughs> and he is from Jersey. And you keep look, him warm. Not, and we, <laughs> look, we're not saying anything, but he is from Jersey, and he is a Gambino. And... Uh, Anyway, back to Al Capone. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to Al Capone. <laughs> well, the, the the top price item in this auction was his his personal Colt forty five semi automatic pistol. This was like his favorite gun, oh, cool. and they were expecting it to bring between one hundred and two hundred thousand dollars. It sold for eight hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Did you give him cash or a check? I don't know. It just depends on yeah. how, what the brief, what was in the briefcase. I don't know. <laughs> Well, the IRS wants to snoop on those purchases. Yeah, it was over six hundred dollars. That's for sure. Yeah. But yeah, eight hundred sixty thousand dollars for one semi-automatic forty-five. Are you going to? That uh, was, and I, because I have the power. Yes. But, uh, are you going to address the issue of safety and? Uh, Alec Baldwin will be at the bottom half of the hour. I'm going to oh. cover that if 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 we can wait that long. Unless sure. you want to jump in now, but no, no, I. I would but yeah, we're going to cover that for sure because mo- a lot of people don't know this, but I have been a gun wrangler on two different movie sets, yes. so I know what's involved in that. And I can witness this because I kicked Roger off a moving motorcycle on That's one right. of those movie sets. Victor and I were both actors in those movies as well. <laughs> yes, we were. We which are. One, credited. Which one? The motorcycle or the? Well, <laughs> both the off. movies. Yeah, both. that was in the first you know, movie. That was in the first movie. But no. we are Roger and I are accredited actors, and it's provable by going to IMDb or whatever. That's that, it. Uh, right. You know what IMDb is? Internet Movie Database. That's it. That one. That's right. IMDb. So I have an update from listener in Marietta. Uh oh. Update. Guardian Angels. Oh, okay, Guardian. that's Guardian Angels. At least I had the angels. And you right. did have the angels. That's right the then. Red well, Beret that's why guys. You're legendary, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, Guardian Angels, and the guy's name was Curtis Slewa, something like that. Uh, I may not be saying that right, but anyway, um, yeah. So that's awesome. Go yeah. Curtis. But yeah, they were expecting this auction to bring between four hundred and seven hundred thousand for everything, and it ended up being slightly more than three million dollars. Just goes to show you how hard it is to get a gun these days. <laughs> yeah, the supply and demand is tough out there. It's very tough. And 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 where was Geraldo? Oh, he was still trying to get into Capone's tomb or his safe, garage, yeah, warehouse. His safe. His safe. The safe. The safe. Yeah. yeah. If it was a safe, there'd be something in there. I think it was yeah. his, his garage. It was. Uh, wasn't it a tunnel under his house or something? No, it was a safe, was and they opened it, and it was empty. Yeah. Well, yeah, Capone didn't leave it. Yeah, he was Capone's like a pirate. No fool. Yeah, yeah he's not gonna he leave it. Gonna leave it there. It was February fourteenth, nineteen twenty-nine. 
listener from New York. Valentine's yep. Day Massacre. Okay, I had that right. What, 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 what year was that? 1929. 29, okay. I know it was a long time ago. I barely remember it. Oh, fe- February 14th, Valentine's Day Massacre? Uh, and, <laughs> and, and just in case anybody doesn't remember, in Chicago, which to this day, that was 1929. Here we are in 2021. Still one of the most common places to be shot. Vi- one of the most violent cities in the United yep. States still. Chicago. In fact, they probably have more people die in some weeks than they did during the Valentine's Day Massacre. And what is the common denominator? That city still run by who? Democrats. Gun control idiots. Yeah, exactly. And do you remember what Al Capone died of? Not lead. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, he didn't? They didn't shoot him? I don't know. How did he die? Was it lead? Huh? No, he uh, died of syphilis. Oh, oh. Well, they, they, oh, there you go. The women will get you every time. Yeah. <laughs> Suck your bus. <laughs> he was in he was oh, in prison under wow. because of tax right, violation. Tax fraud, yeah. And uh, he died of syphilis. In prison? Wow. Yep. How did he Oh, maybe it oh. wasn't women. <laughs> no, I think he had it before he went in. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think he was in prison and he got that. I was going, "Oh, that's yeah. not, not the regular." Not way. that there's anything wrong, wrong with, with that. that. <laughs> Nope, that's just, you know, hey, if you like that, that's not, not there's anything wrong with hey, that. Hey, knock yourself out. But it's funny because <laughs> the guy who wrote the story about Al Capone's auction was saying, you know, he goes, if I had that kind of money, I'd save it for the personal firearm collection of Doc Holliday. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you know, and there's, it's funny because famous people attached to certain guns will raise the prices tremendously, of course, because yeah. of the providence of it. Yep. Which is kind of neat because there's so many... So many people out, famous people out there who have owned guns that would be neat to have, I you know? I would love to own a gun that, uh, that was uh, by, uh, I'll be your huckleberry. Yeah, well, yeah. Your huckleberry. Now, um, Al Capone's gun was probably used to kill people. He probably, it probably has a few notches oh, on I the handle, imagine. so to speak. I don't know. They probably can't know. prove it, but. Yeah, well, he wasn't in jail for murder, but. Uh, no, wasn't it like mail fraud uh, or something? He was in no. for tax fraud. Tax, tax fraud, tax yeah, fraud. okay. Yeah, the, uh, the IRS <laughs> got him. Jeez. No yeah, because IRS, you're guilty until proven innocent. Absolutely, yeah. and that's probably what they used. You know, mentioning the fact that you'd like to have guns, we do have a gun spot on, as a ma- matter of fact. Firearm liquidation. and um, You're going to Afghanistan? Yeah. Trader Joe's. Trader the new, Joe's. The new gun yeah. shop. <laughs> but we'll be playing that spot in a minute. No, it's a... Uh, Gentleman that uh, buys up collections or buys oh, up wow. from estates oh, and yeah. uh, you know refurbishes if necessary and uh, you know it's, it's sounds uh, like a great business. It is a great. He does That's very awesome. well. And uh, we'll hmm. go to that spot. In fact, uh, you know, let's just go to it right now, and then we'll come back with All right. more of Al Capone or what's left of it. Whatever we got. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> If you have lost a loved one and were left with a firearms collection and are not sure how to dispose of them safely, or you may have firearms you no longer want, this message is for you. I am a licensed FFL firearms dealer in the state of Florida, specializing in estate firearm purchases. It is very important that all firearm transactions be handled according to state and federal laws. You can contact me for information at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or you can call or text me at 407-921-8100-247 and ask for James. Again, for information contact me at firearmliquidationservice at outlook.com, or call or text me at 407-921-8100. All communications are strictly confidential.
Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. That was at a college football game, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's go, Brandon. Uh Uh-huh. That's what they were saying. Anyway. (laughs) Well, we have to keep this PG, R-rated, whatever it is. But anyway, so Al Capone's gun sold $3 million, exceeding the estimate of four to 700000 because he's a famous gangster, and everybody likes a good gangster now and again. Let me ask, do they uh, generally come? uh, Many years ago, I bought a bedroom suit that was the bedroom suit of the... Hugh Hefner? uh, No, of the uh, (laughs) producer of Gone with the Wind. Oh, wow, uh, neat. Still have it, and uh, we got documentation... Uh, so would they give documentation on uh, the weapons? I would think they'd have to. Without providence, there's no way to prove it. Yeah. So usually the providence is the most important part of any kind of thing that's been owned by somebody famous. If not, you know, you could pick anything up and say it was owned by whoever. You know, Britney Spears uses to shoot somebody. It's like you can say whatever <laughs> you want. But without proof of it, yeah, it's, it, the value is just not there. In fact, have you ever watched that show, um, The Pawn Stars? Yeah, they, yeah, they'll go on and on about providence of, or, and uh, following the the chain of ownership and keeping track of who owned it and when and see how long. Because there's a lot of fake stuff out there, and a lot of people make up stories and pass it down to kids and stuff, and they believe this because they've heard it since they were very young. And a lot of it's just not true. If there's no proof or paperwork or, or you know certificate of oranges, anything to back stuff up, you're taking a chance on something like that. And you see that all the time in that show. Well, I'll, I'll give paperwork on anything, then I'll go find it. Yeah. <laughs> Offer it. Say, oh, yeah. it's available. Let me go find it now. Yeah. But now, this is interesting because, you know, a lot of these um, gun-unfriendly states are losing gun businesses. Like, there was a company named Magpul. They make some of the finest magazines for ARs and uh, for AKs, stuff like that. That was their big claim to fame. Then they've added on all kinds of accessories. They have tactical stocks made for bolt-action rifles. They have bipods and such like that. And they moved from Colorado, I believe it was to Arizona, New Mexico, or Texas, I don't know, somewhere else, to escape the anti-gun sentiment that was floating around in Colorado because they said, we don't want to work in a place where we can't even sell our products to the people who live here. They were not even allowed to buy magazines over 15 rounds, which is kind of ridiculous. A restricted magazine capacity on an AR-15 is ridiculous. Shall not be infringed has no ambiguity whatsoever, You know, especially when it comes to something like that. And for those of you who are saying, oh, it applies to muskets, well, yeah, then freedom of the press applies only to stuff made on a printing press. No Internet, no TV, no radio. None of that is covered by the First Amendment. So if you believe that it only applies to muskets, then you're an idiot. Sorry, there's no way around that. But anyway, so a lot of these gun companies are moving. The latest story that came out at the end of last month was that a company that's been around since the mid-19th century, mid-1800s, is moving from Connecticut. Oh, from Massachusetts. I'm sorry, from Massachusetts to Tennessee to be more freedom. This company, Smith & Wesson. 
they're moving because they they said they're pull you know they're looking for uh, bigger buildings or better weather or whatever they're going to claim. The truth is they want more freedom. They want better tax rates because from what I understand, Tennessee does not have a personal income tax, a state income tax. So p- people who get paid there will make more money instantly because the state doesn't take any of your paycheck. So they can offer uh, easier moving terms and pay people the same amount of money and they'll actually make more. And they're bringing approximately 750 jobs with them to Tennessee, to Marysville, Tennessee. And they're investing $125 million in new property down there to build their manufacturing plants and stuff. So I'm so glad to see this because so many of these old gun companies have resided in these anti-gun states for so long. And the states love their money that they collect in taxes and fees and everything, but they hate what they manufacture. And they don't allow their citizens to enjoy them. So why not get out of a state that hates your business, that doesn't like what you do for a living? So that's going to be awesome. That That would be great. And there's another company, Troy Industries. I don't know if you've heard of them. I think uh, they manufacture some kind of gun parts or put together guns, and they're moving to Clarksville, Tennessee. <clears throat> in fact, they said employment in the firearms industry in the state of Tennessee has grown by more than 50% in the past five years. Part of that is because of their not having a personal income tax. That makes a huge difference in paychecks, in paychecks and in what companies have as far as tax responsibility. So I'm glad to see this, and hopefully we'll get the rest of the uh, old-school gun manufacturers out of New England because most of those states just do not have any compassion for any of those businesses. And I almost wish they would limit it to say, okay, if you live in these states, you cannot buy guns from us that your citizens cannot own. Oh, your police departments want 15-round magazines? Then everybody in your state has to be able to have 15-round magazines. It's so ridiculous. And one major thing that caused this is they had a, I think they had a shooting up in Connecticut, uh, Newtown or New Haven or I forget what it was called. New Haven, I would buy. New Haven, I don't know. I think it was, yeah. But anyway, after that, the whole New England area became so anti-gun, they just decided that it just wasn't worth it to be there. In fact, strict gun laws in Massachusetts have the lowest in-country firearm death rate. That's what he's saying. Oh, yeah, there's so many few deaths here. It's like, you know what? You're talking a few percentage points, maybe. But then there's other states like Chicago, which have the strictest gun control and some of the highest death rates by guns. So, you know, those figures are kind of, there's probably skewed somehow, I'm pretty sure. Besides, Massachusetts is a very small state, too. You compare it to some of the bigger states, it's just not even close. But what it also shows is the people who were killed are killed by criminals. Criminals don't obey gun laws, so why have gun laws that criminals aren't going to obey anyway? Yeah, but we can go on and on about that forever. But anyway, hopefully this will make Smith & Wesson give them a good financial edge, build their business economy to where they'll be around for many more years. Because they had been in some financial trouble here and there because of the group that had purchased them was having trouble maintaining them because they were basically sucking them dry, which is what you don't want to have happen to any company. You buy it as an investment, and then you take all the cash out of it, and they can't survive. But good for Smith & Wesson, good for Tennessee, good for the country, good for gun owners. I hope our local gun manufacturer (laughs) doesn't have incentive to leave. Well, you know, Georgia needs to get on this bandwagon. I mean, we're wedged between Tennessee and Florida, two states that do not have 
personal income tax or state income tax, I should say, not personal, but no state income tax. So, you know, if a company's looking to move to the southeast, Georgia's not going to be very high on the list unless there's some other factor that makes them want to move there. Sometimes our airport has something to do with it. But now there's airports all over Florida, and they have no state income tax. So it's going to be real easy for Georgia to be overlooked. And some of the other states that still have state income taxes are going to be overlooked as far as businesses moving there because it makes it easier. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think Texas still has no personal or state income tax either. I don't know about Alabama. If Vic were still here, he'd probably know. But I know I've known people who are moving down, and one reason why they chose Tennessee over Georgia is because of the no state income tax. But now we're going to move on to another old company, Colt Firearms. Now, they, for a while there, were floundering a little bit because they were resting on their laurels of making the old AR-15s. And then when other companies got into it, they were able to make weapons that far surpassed Colt in innovation, in adaptability, and some would say even say reliability and durability because Colt was using some older designs on some of their stuff. They were updating them on occasion. But Colt was having some trouble. And they once they got out of making their double-action revolvers for a long time, they finally decided to get back into it. And they brought back the Colt Python, which is probably one of the most iconic revolvers, only after the Colt single-action army, which was, you know, it's the one you see in all the Western movies, some of the Civil War movies, and it went from a percussion to a cartridge weapon and made the transition beautifully there, which was great because it it was the gun that won the West, the gun that defended us. I believe it was the Philippines. They sent Marines to the Philippines, and they were using 38s, and they just weren't cutting the mustard, so they went back to the 45s because the 45, it's what you should carry because they don't make a 46. Actually, they do make a 46 now. Smith & Wesson does. But So Colt decided to get back into the revolver business. I don't want to argue with you, but the weapon that won the West was the Winchester. Or the rifle. 30-30, yeah. Uh, yeah, actually it wasn't. A, it was a forty-four forty at the time. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the lever-action Winchester did a lot to do that, too. But people always think of the single-action revolver as the gun that most of the Cowboys carried, along with their Winchester rifle. And they may start carrying a, again in Texas very soon. <laughs> yeah, I, I talked to a friend of mine in Texas that uh, it's already happening. Didn't actually. they legalize open carry now? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and there are literally people that are toting six guns. Yeah. Well, because what? Well, they used to, their law used to be you could carry a gun concealed, but you were not allowed to carry it showing at all. Even if you had bent down to pick something up and your gums exposed, that would put you in violation of their law, and you could have gotten in trouble for that. Hmm. And they decided it was too old-fashioned. Old it wasn't a good law. It had too many bad aspects to it, so they just opened it up to open carry, which is great. I mean, I personally don't open carry because I don't want to become a target because if a criminal's coming in there, he's going to shoot the guy with a gun first thing, first the gun he can see. So, you know, I don't want to be a target. I'd rather have the... Uh, the advantage of him not knowing I'm armed until he needs to know. And by then, hopefully it's too late. But anyway, they brought back the Python, and it met with huge success. Because I think I'm trying to remember when it was uh, when it was discontinued. I don't remember exactly when. Let's see if it says here. It does not. But anyway, until 2003. Okay, now the, a gun they're bringing back now. After the Python, everyone thought, oh, well, that's a great gun, fantastic gun. Now they're bringing back the Anaconda, 
the other snake gun. Now, the Anaconda is a scaled-up version of the Python, and it fires a 44 Magnum cartridge instead of a 357. The Python was a 357 or 38 Special, and the Anaconda is going to be a 44 Magnum version of this. I believe it was it was returning this year, so it, you should be able to see them on shelves now if you're interested in having one. These are just legendary weapons because they were so smooth, so well put together. All the original ones were all hand fitted. I, I got to ask, when are they bringing back the bunt line? Actually, I know there's a company that makes a 22 in a bunt line, and probably a couple other companies that make copies of it. I don't know that Colt still makes them or not. They vary their production of the single action army so much. Different years have different availabilities, but that color was frames. Wide herbs. That that was the rumor. I don't know if that was he, he had a longer than usual barrel, but I don't know if it was actually a buntline or not. I don't know. Well, now I keep they watching it. And yeah, then, uh, they have Mister Buntline on every yeah. now and then. Oh, do they? Yeah, yeah. And he. It was like a. I think currently they make them with sixteen inch barrels or something like that, which is just ridiculously long for a pistol. Oh yeah, it knocked a whole lot of folks out though. Yeah, well, because you could almost use it like a rifle because you could yeah. prop it up. And if I'm not mistaken, anything with more than a six a sixteen inch barrel currently you can attach a stock to hmm. and make it a legal rifle. Of course, I don't know how you would grip the front of it because in a revolver, you get a lot of fire and and uh, heat coming out from between the cylinder gap and the barrel. So you'd have to have a way to hold on to that and not get your hands all burned up. But interesting. But anyway, if you want a new Colt revolver, they now have pythons available in three fifty seven, And now, after a while, the Colt Anaconda is coming back. It's going to be a forged stainless steel double action fully redesigned revolver to utilize an oversized python action with bulked up frame for additional strength and power to hold the bigger cartridge of course and it's going to have an improved trigger pull like the other re-releases like the python and i think what else do they have the trying to find this the colt oh the king cobra the cobra all these are all the snake guns that that Colt had, they're re-releasing. So that ought to be pretty neat. They're saying MSRP is going to be about fifteen hundred dollars. I think the Python was almost two thousand dollars, nineteen ninety nine. And here the Colt Anaconda is coming in a little cheaper than that, unless they've dropped the MSRP on the Python. But now another thing that's interesting is that Colt had been bought by CZ, the Czechoslovakian-based manufacturer, and they acquired it back in uh, I want to say January, February of this year. So they are a very well-respected manufacturer of firearms, and hopefully they'll be able to pick up Colt, give them the infusion of money they need to get new equipment, get things off to a good start, and hopefully Colt will be around for a lot longer. Now, a lot of people were upset that a Czechoslovakian company bought them, but I think overall it's going to be good for Colt to have a company that has a good reputation and has a long-standing I guess, good reputation in the gun business. So hopefully we'll see more Anacondas coming out there, more Pythons, and who knows? They may even bring back some other things that haven't been out in a while if if there's any demand for them. But it's interesting because the the double-action revolver has so fallen by the wayside because of the reliability of new semi-automatics. I mean, and people don't realize, but back in the day, a 1911 was probably the most popular semi-automatic, and it has... You know, and I know people are going to argue with me, say, oh, it's super reliable. It is to an extent, but it requires a certain type of tuning to keep them running properly. While you run a Glock or a Springfield or a Smith & Wesson uh, 
M&P or something like that, they are right out of the box, 99-point-something percent, probably super reliable 100% of the time. They brought reliability up to the point of being nearly 100%. Now, granted, there's always going to be issues with ammo or magazines or things like that, which can have an can cause problems with a pistol over a revolver. And I know a lot of people like the reliability of a revolver. You pull the trigger, it's going to go to the next round. Even if you have a dud round in there, you pull the trigger again, it goes to the next one. You have another shot. You hit a dud round in a semi-auto, you better be able to rack that slide super quick and get it back on target. And people who run semi-automatics should train for this kind of this kind of scenario because it can happen. But you know, anyway, the revolvers are coming back. People like them, I think. For part part of it's probably nostalgia, but a forty four mag would actually make a good hunting weapon as well. And you've had limited. I guess the Taurus was out there, and I think Smith and Wesson still makes their forty four magnum and the Model twenty nine and six twenty nine stainless and blue, respectively. Things like that were still out there, but there's been a limited number of 44 Magnums in a double-action configuration. And the Colt is probably by far one of the most iconic, and hopefully it will be one of the most upscale, well-built revolvers in the world, as the Python has been for years and years. Well, we'll see. If you see one, pick it up, handle it. If you want to send me a message about what you thought, roger at americaswebradio.com. I'll get the message. We can talk about it. But until then, I'm going to move on to people who build their own guns. And you may think, oh, you need a whole machine shop to do that. You know, you need to have machining skills. You need to have lathes and drills and all kinds of forging equipment. And no, actually, you don't. With a lot of these new weapons, the frame or the part that is the registered, has the registered serial number on it, a lot of these are made of polymer, which is plastic. They're plastic guns. The Glocks, the Springfields, the M&Ps, the, some of the Tauruses. There's probably another dozen pistols out there that use polymer frames, the FNs, the CZs. All of them have polymer frames available. And these polymer frames can be manufactured in an 80% form and be finished out the rest of the way by the end consumer. And they had a document. They they did. They have an inaugural uh, contest this year. The Gunmakers Match was held in St. Augustine, Florida, and they basically had these people trying to build guns in a certain amount of time limit using components that were readily available and able to demonstrate how someone can manufacture their own weapon. Now, probably the first most popular weapon with this, with the eighty percent, was going to be the AR-15 because they have it available in aluminum and plastic or polymer. I know people don't manufacturers don't like me to use the word plastic because it sounds cheap, but it is polymer which is a type of plastic. But they did this contest and they had people build their own guns and put them together in a, I guess a limited amount of time. It sounds like it'd be a great re- reality show. I just don't know. But they had a um a magazine there or a reporter there from gun site from from an anti-gun news site and they thought oh my god should we even let him in but they did and he actually gave them favorable reporting which was great because it actually gave the home-built guns a little bit of a boost all right we'll come back right after this i'm going to take a break for a quick message and i'll come back and tell you more about the home-built gun match they had in saint augustine florida start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative republicans 
Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, then the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Right before we left for the break, we were talking about the Gunmakers Match, and this apparently was our first year doing this. And they had various categories. I guess some of them were using 80% lowers. Others of them were using what they called... 3D printed guns, which means that whoever was using these used a 3D printer to manufacture their lower frame. So they basically were made from gobs of plastic or from strings of plastic. They put them together and made a full receiver from a plastic string and a 3D printer. So basically anybody with a few hundred dollars and a tiny bit of skill to search the internet for plans could come up and build a Glock frame. Now, granted, there may be some finishing involved and some other parts needed to finish it, but the frame itself is the part that is the serialized part of the gun, which is the part that is regulated. And you are allowed to manufacture your own gun for your own use. If you ever sell this or give this to anybody or it ever leaves your possession, you're supposed to put a number on it and register it. So, But this is interesting because as 3D printers become more and more common, become cheaper and cheaper and better and better, it's going to be easier and easier to build very well-made weapons. Now, granted, with a lot of the pistols that are, are manufactured, especially with 3D printers, reliability is sometimes a big issue. It's hard to get the reliability that you do out of a factory-built frame. Roger, do you know, uh, and you've talked about this a number of times on building your own weapon or whatever, do you know if uh, offhand, and I may be throwing you a hardball or something that I, I don't mean to... No, no, I could, I'll swing at anything. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, are other countries into it as much as we are? I don't know. I don't think so because I think in most countries you're not allowed to manufacture your own firearm. Now, granted, there are places probably like Afghanistan or Pakistan where they make copies of firearms that are known for their copies. Some of them are really good. Some of them are really bad. In fact, I believe it's in Pakistan. They have people in the hills that used to manufacture their own weapons. If they could get a hold of one, they would copy it, basically, and make a copy of it. Of course, their limited metalworking skills made the gun sometimes questionable quality and things did like you, that. Did but you say work. metal or mental? Metal. Oh. Metal. Their mental capacity, I'm not uh, not accredited to uh, approve or disapprove that. <laughs> I do not have the qualifications to approve somebody's mental status, especially with my own being in such question. <laughs> But yeah, the 3D printer, the 3D printer is going to revolutionize 
the gun business. Because as it becomes more and more popular, becomes easier and easier to get, as more and more programs become available, I have a feeling the federal government, the state governments are going to come after these things wholeheartedly and try and shut it down because they're, they're saying it's too easy to manufacture your own weapon these days. And now it's interesting because a lot of the manufacturers, like SIG, for instance, the part of their gun that is serialized is not the grip... And what most gun companies consider the grip in the frame, but it's actually an internal frame that can be transferred from grip module to grip module. And the grip modules can be bought with no registration whatsoever. So you have this internal metal frame, and they make 80% versions of that, which you have to bend, fold, and drill holes in to make work. But it, it, it sounds like it should be almost easier to do that than to cut some of these plastic frames or build a plastic frame from scratch. But a lot of the 80% frames, there's a place, uh, what's it, Polymer 80, I think. They're known for their 80% lowers of Glock lowers and AR-15 lowers, but particularly the Glock, because they were one of the first ones to come out with an 80% pistol lower that could be finished out into a gun. It had a great reliability rating, and it had a very high ease of manufacture, so it was easy for people to put that together, which was kind of nice, because that's what you want. You don't want to get something you have to learn to be a machinist to build. You want something that you can uh, manufacture with, you know, a little bit of skill, but it doesn't have to be so complicated that you're going to have to have a machinist come and help you out. So. Personally, I just want to be able to uh, get a parking place in front of the gun store. Yeah, there you go, permanent parking space. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine walks into a gun store and goes, how much for this furnished apartment? <laughs> Sir, this is a gun store. Oh, <laughs> he was rather disappointed. But anyway, you know, we're going to have to see what's going to happen with uh, 80% guns in the future. I have a feeling they're already being eyed by federal and state governments to be made illegal. In fact, California, I believe, is passing laws as we speak to make possession of any 80% weapon illegal. Now, I don't know how that's going to go if you've already had one and it's already been manufactured and you've owned it under the current law. Can they change the law and make you give it up, or will you be grandfathered in? I'm not sure. I haven't read the, their potential law. Knowing them, they'll try and make you into a criminal by passing a new law. You know, I guess the question comes up in my mind, too. They can make all the laws that they want to make. <laughs> and they do. And they do. But enforcing them are... I mean, you know what you were talking about with the 80% and what, are they going to get the Girl Scouts as they're selling cookies to go in and check and see if you're making weapons? Right. Who's to say they're not smuggling guns in Girl Scout cookie boxes? There was actually a story of two guys in Georgia who were doing that. (laughs) Well, you know, but I mean, a lot of these laws, in my opinion, they have no enforceability. You'd have to call out not only the... The guards in every state, you'd have to call out the army everything, you know? You, there's would probably, just not enough people. They would probably selectively enforce them against a few people to try and scare the rest of the people into compliance. That's probably what they would do with something like that. To public actually, hanging? Maybe, or, you know, just a publicly display, a public display, display of people being prosecuted for an 80% weapon that they've had maybe f- since before the law was passed. Who knows? That's the kind of tactic I would expect anti-gunners to use, something that was public and graphic and scare people into not wanting to violate this law. Would they Even try to though, go through ATF? I don't know. That would be interesting. 
the assholes, what is it, the Bureau of Assholes that Take Firearms. <laughs> yeah, those guys, I don't know. I don't know if they would use them or not. They've had such a shady history with Waco and all that. I don't know if they'd get them involved again. They'd have a big problem with that. Who knows? They still haven't li- lived that down. And the funny thing about the ATF is they can change regulations without changing laws. So the one thing can be legal one day and illegal the next day, like with the bump stocks. They passed them. They gave you paperwork saying they were legal, blah, blah, blah. Then they changed the ruling on them. No new laws were passed. They just changed their interpretation of the law and decided they were no longer legal. They don't have the right to do that. They don't make laws. They did do it. No, they don't. They make regulations, but the regulations are made. They're not passed. The Senate doesn't have to pass those. The Congress doesn't have to pass those. They can change regulations at the drop of a hat or change interpretations as they see fit. Well, let's dump them. Well, yeah, easy to say, but hard to do. (laughs) I wish. I mean, if all the politicians out there obeyed the law, we'd have a much better time of everything. Everybody would be much more free to do a lot more things if the politicians actually obey the law or people in government actually obey the law but it, it's it's got to the point where they just don't care anymore oh well, it's for the safety it's for the children they're willing to sacrifice freedom for temporary security so you know that's what people are willing to do and that's going to be the downfall as people decide to trade tr- more and more of their freedoms for security they're going to soon realize once you trade those freedoms away you'll never get them back we're going through that right now with these COVID scare. People wanting, you know, trying to force people to wear masks or forcing people to get vaccinated just to hold on to a job. And these are people who have worked through the pandemic in hospitals and healthcare facilities, and they're firing them because they don't want to get a vaccine that honestly has no liability but from the manufacturer. And it's still experimental. Yes, it's not most of them have not been approved for human use or on a temporary basis. Why would you want to stick your body with something like that? I don't know. Now, a couple of them are actually built like vaccines are supposed to be built. Others of them have some new idea of how vaccines are supposed to be built, and apparently those are causing some more issues than what they thought. But anyway, that's the story. That's a story for Victor for next week. Now we're going to get into a murderer this week, a well-known murderer. Apparently, Alec Baldwin has shot and killed one person and, with the same shot, wounded another person. Now, before you say, oh, maybe he was just, you know, road raging or whatever, no, he was on a movie set when this happened. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about this. So he was on a movie set, and from what I understand, he was handed what was told him to be a prop gun loaded with a blank, and he was supposed to be ma- shooting a scene where he was going to f- be firing at or near a camera to make it kind of a, you know, a front-facing, direct, first-person kind of shot. When he fired the gun, there was a live round in it. He killed one of the cinematographers, and he wounded one of the other crew members. I thought that was with the second shot. Oh, there was more than one shot? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, there were two shots. Oh, jeez, what an idiot. That, that's Yeah, that's what I never figured out is that, Hey, I just killed somebody, so I'm going to shoot, shoot it again. again. Yeah, and well. I heard another interesting thing that you may have have, and I don't mean to be stealing your. No, door. no, no, no. Let's get the uh, facts out there because I have limited information on this. I think they're they're trying to keep some of it back. Well, they they came out today that that same gun they had been shooting beer cans, target practicing with 
prior to the incident. So that's how it got loaded. Usually they don't even allow live rounds on a set at all for any reason. I mean, it, you know, it's sort of the gump thing, dumb and dumber. Yeah, stupid is as stupid does. Yep. And apparently, if that's the case, they were using this gun to shoot, to target practice with just moments before they handed it to an actor to fire at at camera or at staff. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's sad that it happened because Alec Baldwin, unfortunately, is kind of a, a douche when it comes to gun rights. He doesn't believe you should have any. Now, he probably has armed guards all the time, and he believes he's more important than you, and he needs to be protected. But he doesn't believe that you should have your Second Amendment rights. And he's made no bones about expressing his dislike for the Second Amendment. Funny that now he's a murderer. I wonder if he'll change his mind on that. <laughs> and, and charged with first degree. Oh, he was charged. How can with first degree murder? I mean, he it wasn't intentional. I don't think he had any intent to kill anybody or even shoot anybody. I, you know, I can't answer. I agree with you, but. Uh, he was charged with uh, first-degree murder. Yeah, and now that you said that they were out there shooting the gun, that would d- describe to me what had happened there. Now, this is a horrible accident, and I know he didn't mean to do this. In fact, he's probably very upset about it for one reason. His conscience may actually be bothering him, or he's thinking, oh, my God, no one's going to hire me to work on movies again, which would actually be okay with me. I'd be yeah. okay with either of those. But uh, we'll have to see how this pans out, because I can't believe if they're going to try and charge him, I don't think that would stick. He has no intent, no malicious Yeah, they were on premeditated ideas. or anything yeah, like that. He didn't, mean to, he didn't even mean to shoot anybody, much less kill anybody. It was purely accidental. Maybe manslaughter they could charge him with. You know, accidental mans- manslaughter in the third or fourth degree, whatever that came down to. But who knows? But yeah, and it's not like he was an expert in any way. He didn't know how to check the weapon. He just got handed it to him. He did what he was told. He was shooting at what he was supposed to shoot at, I assume, unless he was just goofing around and didn't do what he was supposed to do. But this is all. this should all fall on the gun wrangler who was on the set to handle these weapons and take care of them between actors using them. And I know, because I have been a gun wrangler on two different movie sets, and I know what it takes to do that. And you check that gun every single time it passes into your hand and it passes out of your hand. Even if you've had it on you or within your hand the whole time, it never hurts to take an extra three seconds to check it a second time. Or show somebody when you do it. You know, here, I'm showing you this gun is unloaded. So if you ever have any questions, you can do this, but I don't want to see any live rounds on a movie set at all, period. For no reason whatsoever should there be live rounds on a movie set, unless you're actually going to do some firing of something live. I don't know. I guess you can film live ammo, but never with a gun you're going to be pointing at somebody in a scene. That just seems ridiculous. I mean, I remember when I did this, I'd have the guns. I'd, I would maintain control of them until they were needed for a shot, and then before the shot, the actor would get to handle the gun i would show him a proper grip to where he looked like he knew what he was doing when they filmed the scene i would show him the gun was unloaded whether he knew how to double check it again later or not that was up to him and if it was only one gun being used at a time i would hand him that gun and i would stay with him up until he shot that scene i'd be watching him shoot it and they were all instructed also even though these guns just had blanks in them They were all instructed to never point the gun at anybody directly and fire it. Use the camera angles to make it look like they were being shot and aim off by a few inches. So if there was a live round, it would not hit somebody. 
where if the the wadding and the paper from the blank were to come out, it wouldn't hurt anybody. Because still, some of those they use heavy cardboard, which could actually you could probably penetrate skin with them, even in a blank form. So you never want to point directly at somebody. Plus, you have powder coming out, burning while it comes out. You don't want to get it in somebody's eyes either by shooting it directly at them. These are all things that should have been addressed by the people on the set. And you wonder, did the gun wrangler just get lazy? Has he done it so many times? He's just he's never had an accident, so he doesn't think about it. Did he not double check? Did he double check and somebody played with it between the time he handed it to the actor and the time the actor shot it? That seems unlikely because I wouldn't imagine the actor would have put it down anywhere while he was in control of it. They probably wouldn't hand it to him until he was just about ready to do his scene. I know when I did this, that's exactly what I had to do, and I followed that actor, if I could, to the scene and watched it be shot, watched what he was going to do. We'd walk through the scene one time, see where he was pointing the gun, make sure everything was going to be safe. That was my main concern as a gun wrangler. I made sure everybody on set was safe. And I wouldn't leave guns laying around un- without being locked up. And I imagine on some of these really busy movie sets, they probably set them down in a certain spot and think nobody's going to mess with them. But apparently, something happened here, and a live round was put into one of these prop guns. Now, a lot of the new prop guns are not chambered in standard calibers. They're chambered in calibers that are just for blanks. So there's no way to put real ammo into them. And make them fire, but most of the people just use real weapons that have been checked, checked again, and checked a third time if necessary to make sure there's no live rounds in the gun. You know, the, there's a moral to the story too. Just what you were saying, and you and I have handled guns right between the two of us and looked at guns, and you know, there's no way in the world, in my opinion. That you can over safe. No. You know? Always check twice or three times or five times. If there's any doubt, check it again. It doesn't take but a few seconds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I I don't. Do you know whether it was a semi automatic or a revolver? I do not know. And uh, I would think if he shot two rounds, I would think it was a revolver, but I'm not sure. Although, I guess with a prop gun, they can make it function semi-auto, but I don't think it would fire a projectile out of it. Well, if the first one was a projectile, then it would... It would cycle the action again, yeah, and get a second round in there. Maybe that's how it worked. I don't know know enough about this story to know what kind of gun it was. I have no idea. And and they're releasing stuff very slow on this because they don't want people to make judgments. I guarantee you that uh, New Mexico will get to the bottom of it one way or the other yeah i mean obviously somebody had apparently set him up or didn't pay attention to what they didn't do their job somebody along the line didn't do their job and handed him a loaded weapon well, you know the the fact like i said that came out uh, that they had been target practicing with this with the weapon. same weapon oh that's just yeah that's that just makes me think that they were very stupid in their handling and had a lot of oversights going on and people were sloppy and not doing their jobs because i mean yeah as much as i dislike alec baldwin i don't think he had any intention to ever shoot anybody no and he doesn't know enough about guns to know to check it beforehand he gets handed the gun that's as far as he probably ever goes he shoots his scene he goes back to his trailer and does whatever he does there who knows Maybe he sniffs Joe Biden's panties. I don't know. But anyway. No, that's Joe Biden. 
Oh, Joe Biden sniffs yeah. Alex Ball Alec uh, Baldwin's uh, panties. Okay, yeah. whatever. They may be exchanging panties. I don't know. And his hair. Yeah. There you what go. What kind of hairspray he's wearing? Deciding what kind of tampons they're going to wear that 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 particular week. I don't know. But anyway, it's just I can't really blame him as much as I dislike him. I don't think it was his fault. I don't think he should share much blame in this because he doesn't know anything about guns. He was following the procedure he was given. He was told what to do to shoot the scene. As far as I know. And he did what he was told and thought just the same as it had been probably a hundred times before when he's handled weapons. The gun was safe. He was doing what he was told. It was going to come out with the right results. Who knew that this was going to be the time that somebody had played with it and replaced the blanks with actual ammo? But they flew the people who were shot to the hospital. One died immediately, and the other one was being released, I think, a day later. So... Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and people are trying to blame Alec Baldwin, saying he should have known, he should have checked. It's like he doesn't know enough about it. He really doesn't. He just knows what he's being told. Most actors, they act like they're supposed to, they do what they're told, and they don't know much beyond that. Most people think actors are smart because they can read a script and make it sound like they really know what they're talking about. But the fact of the matter is, none of them know what the hell they're talking about because they're actors. And this is actually the same thing happened to um, Brandon Lee on the set of The Crow. He was shot by a gun that had a live round in it. Well, this I don't I don't know if you, and I can't pull up names, but this has been in a number of movies at one time or the other. Well, Brandon Lee, in case you don't know, that was Bruce Lee's son. Yeah. Yeah, he was in the movie The Crow and he died on the set of The Crow because somebody had had a live round in one of the guns. But I remember many made-for-television uh, detective stories or police stories where this was the, the scenario. Oh, the, yeah. Somebody put a live round in a fake gun or yeah. something like that or swapped a fake gun for a real gun and ended up getting somebody shot. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, Hollywood can make up anything into a story, I suppose. Pretty much, but... Uh, they're going to have a hard time making this up and getting out of it. Yeah, and I, and like I say, I don't blame Alec Baldwin as much as they do the gun wrangler on set. He yeah. failed to do his job. He failed to do his job. He, he, Alec Baldwin should have never been handed a gun with a live round in it on a movie set. Now, though, it's interesting because just when you think we're safe from politicians in this whole thing... Hmm. A California Democrat is calling for a ban on all guns on Hollywood movie sets. <laughs> I could imagine that's going to make the shoot 'em up films much less enjoyable, and most people are just not going to—they're not going to sell any tickets to any of that kind of stuff. And you just point your finger and hope it doesn't go off. I suppose. I don't know how you're going to make a movie like that. Well, this is in Hollywood, on Hollywood sets, and he's a California Democrat. So you know what that's going to do? If he gets this law passed, it's going to drive more and more movies out of the state of California to places like Louisiana, to New York, to Georgia, where they film tons of movies now anyway, and they'll just get more of them out there. You know, I, the one thing, just as you've pointed out, about this situation I can comfortably say, and I assume you'll agree with me, there's no excuse. Right. Somebody didn't do their job. Yeah. I mean, I, and I've had that job, so I know exactly what it entails. 
And I was I was so careful with it when I did it. Now, maybe these guys get lax because they do it every day, day in and day out for years on end. But still, when it comes to guns, you can never be too safe. I wonder, and I haven't heard this. I don't know whether you have or not. Was this the first time they had shot, and I don't mean to be, I'm not a pawn, <laughs> but the first time they had shot this scene? I don't know. I don't know at all whether it was a reshoot or whether it was the first time shooting it or what. Like I said, there's a lot of information that people would like to know. But so far, and this is on, oh, here it is, a set of the movie Rust. Yeah. Just still in New Mexico. I don't know. And, what, and Alec Baldwin was it's the producer. Oh, so he his production company may be held responsible for the accident. Plus the fact he was handling the gun, he hired the gun wranglers, all that stuff was done by his production company. So eh, there's going to be some blame here. They're, they're going to get to the bottom of it. They're going to try and place blame or find out how it happened because that's the biggest thing. Everyone now is just scratching their heads going, how could they possibly get live ammo? And you said they were using it for target practice Yeah, that, Mom- uh, moments before they brought it back into the set to use as a prop gun. Yeah, that to me answered the question of how. Yeah, and still, and it was an accident. They didn't mean to hand him a live gun, but the gun wrangler in charge should have double-checked that gun be- when it hit his hands and before he laid it in the hands of anybody else. Yeah. That was his fault. He's supposed to check that. And a gun, the gun should always go from the actor or whoever's providing it to the gun wrangler to the actor. And that should be checked on two occasions, coming in and going out. That's At least when I was doing it, that's the way I did it. I had strict rules. If it ever left my sight or the gun ever left my hands, I was going to check it before it left my hands. And one of the uh, witnesses there or whatever, and again, I'm repeating what I've heard, not that I was there or anything Right, else, but, right. Uh, that said that they told Baldwin it was a cold weapon. Right, right. Meaning it. Yeah, and he probably went, okay, whatever, you just hand me the gun I'm supposed to shoot, I do what I'm supposed to do. He's an actor. Yeah. The only, the only thing he's really good at is following directions. <laughs> That's all he can really do well. He doesn't have any original thought of his own. He follows directions. Whether it's in the way he acts, the way he performs, he follows directions. Like I say, that's why I, as much as I dislike him for being anti-gun, I can't say I really blame him for this accident happening. I'd put this on the gun wrangler because I've been in their shoes. I've done that job. I know what it entails. I'm not talking, you know, I'm not just trying to make judgment here, having never done it. I've done the job. I know what it takes. And somebody failed miserably to do their job. And they probably just got lazy. You know, they they do it all the time. They just make assumptions as people do. That's how gun accidents happen all the time. People make assumptions. They assume a weapon isn't loaded. All right, well, that's all we're going to have for today. And uh, we'll see if any more any more information on this comes out later, because I have a feeling it might. And we'll discuss it more next week if we get a chance. Until then, I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you've been listening to America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. 